Praise God. Amen. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, I want to thank the church um, for having me here um, last night and this morning. Um, I, I owe a lot to, to this church, and while I was driving here, I was thinking of a few things. Um, in, in about 15 years or so ago, um, you know, this church, especially Pastor Finney, who is like an older brother to me, um, he would invite me. Um, most people didn't know who I was. I, I do get more invitations now than I can take. Um, but it was in those days that I would come here, and I think one or two times a year, and just had, uh, you know, almost a decade, we would just have a great time. So I, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. Um, so part of my journey in ministry, uh, this church had played an incredible role, and I acknowledge that. A, a lot of familiar faces here. I thank God for all of you. Um, a lot of uh, faces that go back uh, decades, uh, generations, some of them, uh, with my parents. And so it's good to see all of you here, and thank God for what God is doing in this church. Amen. Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And I'll read from verse 22. Mark chapter 5, verse 22 onwards. So it says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, so just, um, just a, a, a brief description of Jairus. It doesn't talk about this here. But the Bible says that he was a synagogue leader. That means he was the lay president of the synagogue, which means that he would have been a man of incredible devotion to God, obviously great morality, respectability, probably incredibly wealthy, and obviously a very prominent person in the society. But today, he's none of those. He's very desperate. He came, verse, once, verse 22 says, he came and saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him and said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. You know, the language he uses here is not that she might die. It is that Jesus, she is about to die unless you come to my house. So think about his posture. Remember, grown men in those days never pleaded, particularly men of those kind of stature. It was considered almost shameful for men of his stature to show that kind of emotion. Some of you men still have that problem. We can work on that. But for a ruler of a synagogue to prostrate himself before another man's feet is unheard of. But when your little girl is dying, you do things differently because you see things differently. And Luke actually has a similar account and he actually says that this was Jairus' only daughter, which is odd in those days when people have a lot of kids. Which means that they probably could not have more children. And so this little girl meant the world to him. And so verse 24 says, Jesus went with him. Jesus says, yes. Imagine, imagine the excitement of Jairus on one hand, 
The nervousness on the other hand, but the excitement. I came to Jesus and he said yes and I'm taking him to my house. But the nervousness is, will I get there on time? So Jairus and Jesus and Jesus' disciples, obviously this morning I was teaching the Sunday school, not the A-list people, the B-list of society, fishermen, tax collectors, former terrorists, like all of these, you know, bunch of people. They're like, finally we have a synagogue president inviting us to his house. Great PR campaign. So they're like, Jesus, let's go. Right? Let's move people around. Let's rush to Jerry's house because this miracle will give us great publicity. So they went. Verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there in that crowd who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years. That's an extremely polite way of the Bible saying that she was not just sick, but likely in incredible pain. She was obviously unable to have children. And even more, she was ceremonially unclean, which means no one could touch her. She was not allowed in public worship. She really shouldn't be in the crowds. And this has been this way for 12 years. For 12 years, no one has touched her. 12 years, no one has hugged her. For 12 years, no one has laid a hand on her. She has, no one has prayed for her. She has been outcast and lonely for 12 years. Verse 26. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I am in pharma. I love doctors. I work with them all the time. But this was even before Obamacare. She worked with a lot of doctors, but apparently it didn't get any better. Doctors, God bless you. Go treat your patients well, but sometimes even doctors can't solve them. But she grew worse, doesn't even get better. So she is not just outcast and lonely, she has spent all of her family's fortune, which means at this mo moment she's probably bankrupt. She has attempted every cure, but it has made worse. She, it, in every indication, she is a right candidate to give up hope. The other thing you have to notice about this story is that this woman has no name. As opposed to Jarius, who everybody knows. I mean, look at the contrast between Jarius and this woman. And the reason we don't know her name is because she's just, the disciples weren't even courteous to ask her name. She's that low in society. Jarius has a daughter who's 12 years old and sick and dying. This woman is 12 years sick. She's been sick for 12 years. He is the ruler of the synagogue. She's not allowed in the synagogue. He is respected in society. She's rejected by society. He is a household name. And her name we don't even know even today. But she never gave up hope. She said, maybe today is my day. But her dilemma is, how is he supposed to be in public? Because if she touches somebody in public, she makes them unclean. But this is her only chance. So she risks the scorn of the public and fights her way through the crowd. Verse 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, his outer 
jacket. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Where did she hear that? What Bible study taught her that? Maybe, maybe, maybe. In Malachi 4.2, there is a prophecy about the Messiah. And Malachi 4.2 says, when Messiah comes, he would, would rise with healing in his wings. Maybe she read that. Because the wings of the Messiah was the cloak of the Messiah. So it says the Messiah would rise with healing in his wings. Maybe she read that and she said, that is my hope. I'm going to anchor my miracle on that one verse that Messiah would rise with healing in his wings. And if I just touch his wings, I could be healed. And church this morning, here's another thing. Up until this time, no one ever touched Jesus and be healed. But you know, two chapters later, what were they doing in Mark 7 and 8? The Bible says they were bringing people out there that they may touch Jesus' clothes and be healed. She didn't just believe this. She set a pattern for other people on how to receive a miracle from God. Some of your lives, you are stuck without any hope. Listen, God is preparing you for something awesome. God is teaching you something great. It is not just for you. It will be a pattern for so many people for generations to come. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Right? When you, are a, when you read the Bible, you always have to be a student of grammar. This is a very passive verb. It doesn't say Jesus sent out power. It says what? Power went out. Like he had no control over it. And he turned around and said what? Who touched my clothes? Verse 29. Sorry, I missed that verse. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Jesus knew who touched him, but Jesus was inviting her to come forward. Because here's what I know. Every encounter that people have with Jesus in the Bible and in today, Jesus will give you more than you bargained for. But Jesus will ask you more than you were willing to give. Both are true. She just wanted to drive by healing. You know what a drive by healing is? I'm just going to touch him, get healed, and go. Jesus wanted her to show her as a trophy of what faith looks like. So Jesus says, who touched me and his disciples, obviously, verse 31, you see the people crowding against you and you ask, who touched me? These guys, they're not obviously the most spiciest Doritos in the bag. We know that. 
But the disciples have this amazing ability to feel stu- silence with stupidity. By the way, these are the choice leaders that God was going to use to build the church, which is good news for all of us. Like, it's not because of our awesomeness that God uses us. Come on. It's because of His awesome grace. Like, I mean, disciples are the perfect proof of that. Verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, known what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, obviously, told him the truth. Right? The scorned, rejected, alienated woman, now healed, comes forward in the sight of everyone, in the front of this most popular Messiah, I mean, Rabbi at that time, Jesus Christ, I'm wondering this question, will he reject me? Will he publicly shame me? He knows I'm not supposed to be here. And what happens next is probably one of the most teachable moments in the life of Jesus because it is the central question that every religion, every faith system has to answer. What is it like to be exposed in all of your guilt and sin and defilement and shame before a holy God? How does, how does a holy God respond to you when you stand before him sinful, guilty, and with shame? And verse 34, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. It is the only person in the Bible Jesus called daughter. This one. It's the most in term of endearment. You never use it for someone you just met. Right? This girl that nobody wanted has been called the precious daughter by the awesome ultimate father in heaven. The girl that no one would touch is embraced by the strongest and yet most tender arms of the universe. The name that no one else knew now stands before this holy God. And God says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Again, see the contrast. Jairus' daughter has a dad to plead her case before Jesus. But this woman has no dad. Nobody to plead her case to Jesus. This woman has no father. So Jesus says, I will be her dad. Listen, church, all of our faith levels are different. I get it because we're in different journeys in our life. Jarius had enough faith to say, Jesus, if I get you to come to my house and you lay hands on my daughter, I know my daughter will get well. That is good. If, you, if that is your faith, then operate in that faith. This woman says, I don't need Jesus to come to my house. I don't need him even to know me. I can just touch his garment and he might will be healed. There was a centurion that said, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the word and that word will heal my servant. Because to Jarius, Jesus was going to be his healer. But to this woman, Jesus was going to be her father and her healer. And Jesus always comes to us in our lack. Listen, she thought she just needed healing. God knew that she needed a father. She needed to be somebody's daughter. 
And then he says to her, verse 34, Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love telling this story to my Muslim and Jewish friends because there's something that they catch in the story that we normally miss. Here is this woman who is unclean and defiled, touches someone who is regarded as a holy man. What happens when an unclean thing touches a clean thing? Do you know? The clean becomes? We know that. We know that with sickness, right? If I'm sick and you're well, your wellness does not come to me. My sickness always goes to we don't say my kid is sick, I'll think I'll drop them off at the nursery with all the other well kids so that the wellness can rub on them. Right? If I sneeze on you and I'm sick and you get sick, I say, I gave you my cold. It doesn't mean that I don't have my cold anymore. He said, now both of us have it. Because when the unclean touches the clean, the clean becomes unclean. But here, when the unclean touches the clean, what happens? The unclean becomes clean. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is the power of the Messiah. That is why Jesus was not an ordinary prophet. He was the son of God. When the unclean touched the clean, the clean, the unclean became clean. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue. Hey guys, did we forget about Jairus? Got caught up with this woman, right? Jairus is standing there. What is he thinking? Jesus, let's go. Let's go. My daughter is about to die. This great thing happened to this woman but poor Jairus and someone comes to tell him what your daughter is dead imagine the nausea of Jairus at that time here if you're in the medical profession you should you would understand this if not you still get it there are two different conditions that human beings go through. One is chronic and one is acute. You guys know that? Okay? So let's break it down for the story. Woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, is that chronic or acute? It's a chronic condition. She's managing it for 12 years. She can manage it. Jairus' daughter dying, if Jesus doesn't come, is that chronic or acute? It's acute. Jesus gets a call of an acute case. And stops to heal a chronic case. Today it's called medical malpractice. Right? You're an ER doctor. Somebody comes to you acute. If you don't know something in the next 10 minutes, half hour, the person dies. And then you have somebody who has you know, some kind of diabetic case, right? Just manage their medication for a couple of hours. And you stop everything with the acute. You go to the chronic patient and deals with them. And you come back and the acute patient is dead. Jesus knew this. 
This woman with the issue of blood, she waited 12 years. Could she wait one hour? She could have. This is why Jesus will never fit into our puny little brains. He will never. Don't try to. Every single thing, every category that we have for Jesus, he will break that open to give us a new glimpse of what he is. He doesn't care because here's the thing. For Jesus, chronic and acute doesn't matter. It's all the same. In fact, we'll find out. Acute was easier for him. So Jesus goes, he says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? This is the question. This moment is Jairus' test of faith. It's two words. Why bother? Some of you are asking that right now. Why bother? Why bother God? Why bother about this? And why bother about that? It's been too long. It's been too hard. It's been all this time. Why bother? And God is saying, yes, we need to bother. Jesus is telling Jarius, Jarius, it's okay. Do not fear, Jarius. We're going to do something awesome. You can always bother Jesus. He loves it when you bother him. He's glorified. He loves it when you bother him. Even in the direst of circumstance, bother him. Keep on bothering him. Never let the enemy even say, why bother? I am going to bother him. So what did Jesus say? Verse 36. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, verse 39, why all this commotion and wailing? He says to them, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So they put him all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, which means little girl, Kumi, which means get up. So Jesus is walking to a dead body. He does not roll up his sleeves. He's like, oh, this is going to be a hard one. Be thou resurrected. You know the exact translation of this word, Talitha Kumi? It's sweetheart, wake up. This girl hears this every single morning when her dad and mom wakes her up for school. It's the exact word, sweetheart, wake up. Jesus goes to the ultimate enemy, which is death. And he says, wake up. And death bows down before Jesus. When Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood before, it's the only time in the Bible says power went out of him, which means Jesus felt weak. At least with that, it was harder for Jesus to heal her. It took more strain on him to heal her than, wake up, Talit. 
Wake up, sweetheart. She woke up. The most devastating enemy the human race has ever known. Jesus walked into it and did it like waking up a little girl from her nap. And verse 42, and immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. The most understatement of the year. Listen, a couple of lessons for us. Then I'm done. This is how Jesus delivers all of us. Because we are like this woman. Our sin has left us diseased and unclean, guilty and cast out. But unlike this woman, she's suffering through... We are suffering through our own act, our own sinful conditions. We're hopeless. All the cures have failed, right? Things like we thought money could fix it. Progress could fix it. Sophistication could fix it. No. Romance could fix it. It doesn't. Religious rules could fix it. It does not. It does not. Here we have isolated people, lonely people, dejected people. The only thing that can fix it is when we go and touch Jesus by faith. We have to believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything we could ever ask. This is how we get saved. This is how we live our lives every single day. We continue to believe, God, I'm going to bother you. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to speak your word. I'm going to stand on your promises. I am not. I refuse fear in my life. In Jesus name. Which means we may have to fight through the crowds and all kinds of, but here's the thing. When you get to him, listen, we get to touch him. And this girl, death who is our ultimate enemy, We sang it this morning, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Christ has taken the sting out of death. I read the story that really described this, what that means. It's about a dad that was driving in a car with his little girl when a bee came into the car. And so he tried to open the window. He couldn't get the bee out. His little girl was terribly allergic to bee stings, so the bee comes close to her. And she calls out, Daddy, Daddy, it's going to sting me. And so the dad gets the car to the side of the road, trying to get the bee out of the car, but unable to do so. But he didn't want to anger the bee. So he cornered the bee against the windshield with his hands and grasped the bee onto his hands and waited for the inevitable sting. And so feeling the sharp pain of sting, he opened his hand and released the bee out to the window. And the little girl said, Daddy, it's going to fly back. And sting me. And the father opens up his hands and says, Don't worry about that bee anymore. It has already stung me. Jesus took the sting out of death. Hallelujah. He went to the cross and was nailed for us. He took the sting. Now death, even for a child of God, it is the greatest promotion you will ever get. Absent from the body is to be present with Jesus Christ. He has taken the sting out of death. 
And so the temporary nuisance that life brings, even the most difficult days of our lives, listen, we are hopeful because Jesus has conquered our ultimate enemy. Listen, if you are not afraid of death, and if Jesus has removed the sting of death, then every nuisance that the enemy puts in front of you, you can look at it and say, oh my God has taken the sting out of death. I don't fear you. But this is how Jesus works in our day lives, everyday lives. This kind of faith, wherever your level of faith is, and I realize you could be a Jarius or a centurion or the woman, it doesn't matter. God honors faith. God looks at you. If you have any kind of like faith as small as a mustard seed, any level of faith, God is so honored when you do that. Faith always engages the power from God. A power that is not available until you depend on it. Jesus never turns away anyone that comes to him. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, Oh Lord, you have never forsaken those who trust in you. Maybe you're like Jerry, is hopeless about some situations, whether in your family, about your future, and you're like, why bother? I'll tell you why bother. Because you have a Savior who is passing by with tremendous, with this tenderness that is deeper than the ocean and his faithfulness that reaches to the sky. You have a Savior that is here this morning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you can just reach out and say, yes, Jesus, I will bother you. Has it been 12 years? Keep knocking. Has it been 20 years? Keep knocking. And it teaches us that God's ways are so different than our ways. Everyone in this story got more than they bargained for. You always get more than you bargained for when you come to Jesus. The woman expected a healing. She got acceptance as a precious daughter of her heavenly father. Jarius wanted a healing. He got a resurrection. Amen. God has so much in store for us than our pathetic and feeble plans. If only we knew what this almighty God is preparing for each one of our lives. If we could trust him and ignore the lies of the enemy that says, do not bother him. Our plans are different than his. His ways are higher than ours. His timing is always perfect. Listen, for 12 years, this woman has been suffering. For 12 years, this this little girl has been alive. God brought both of them together in his perfect story. This woman now has an amazing testimony. An amazing story to tell. For 12 years, God was knitting her life together. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, God is doing a million things in your life right now. And you and I are aware of two of them. He is orchestrating all kinds of things, situations, environments, people, circumstances. Let us trust in the infinite arms of God. So do not let his timing confuse you or frustrate you. He's weaving it perfectly together. Here's why I close. My time is done. When the unclean touches the clean, the law and the prophet says the clean becomes unclean. 
But when this unclean touches the clean, she becomes clean. But what happened to the unclean? What happened to our uncleanness? Jesus took it on himself. Her bleeding stopped. But in a few days, his bleeding was going to start. He would rise up across a mountain called Calvary and glide down on a cross called Golgotha. And there, every uncleanness in this world, every defilement, every sin was put on Jesus. And Isaiah 53 says, And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The reason she became clean is because Jesus took her uncleanness. He became unclean for her. He became unclean for you. The reason that you and I can walk in resurrection power is because he took death upon himself. The reason that we can walk in the riches of God is because he was made poor. He's the reason we can live with the fellowship with the Father because he was forsaken by the Father. This is about a substitution that God did for each one of us. And we celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that in a moment. Oh God, you send your only son, took the unclean and the pain of this world so that you and I can live in a clean with the righteousness of God. He was made weak so that we could be made strong. You and I have the strength not because of what we did. It's because we have a Savior that became weak for you. So anytime you are strong, think about a Savior that became weak for you. Anytime you are weak and you strength, think about a Jesus that became weak for you, that gives you his resurrection power, his indwelling spirit every moment of our lives. Let's close our eyes. Hallelujah. 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 Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, I'm just asking you to bother Jesus this morning. If it means touching his garment, if it means telling him, God, unless you come to my house, the situation is getting worse and not getting better. If you just want to tell him, God, you just speak your word. I'm going to stand on your promise. Wherever you are, it's okay. God is, God is exalted. God loves even the smallest of faith that you bring to him. He is so glorified with it. So God, we just, we just thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your spirit that impresses your word upon our hearts. I pray, God, for every heart that is in this place, God. A heart that some of us are hopeless. God. Some of us may have given up. Some of us are about to give up. Some of us will live, are living in anxiety and fear and despair this morning. God, your word to us is do not fear. You do not fear. Your faith will make you well. Jesus, you're coming. You are coming to us, God. You're coming to us through your word. Your spirit is indwelling in us, oh, Holy Spirit. So, God, we live as confident children of God, knowing what you have done and what you continue to do with us. Increase our faith, God. Continue to increase it as we live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.